1: no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: It's the Autosport Podcast. We review the Belgian Grand Prix and ask when is an old team really a new team. Sebastian Vettel and Ferrari struck back in the fight for the 2018 World Championship with a dominant victory in the Belgian Grand Prix. As runner-up Lewis Hamilton put it, Ferrari was just faster and have had the upper hand on Mercedes for some time. So this is a race that has a big impact on the expected form for the remaining eight races. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to talk all things Belgian Grand Prix is Scott Mitchell. Now, Scott, are you finding our current surroundings a bit bland, given that rather than our usual location near the track in some slightly questionable hotel, we're in a rather anonymous motel somewhere between Spa and Calais? I'm not even really sure where we are. The
1: only thing I can really take as consolation being in this place is it's like I'm living in an episode of Alan Partridge.
0: Yes, yes. But I, I don't see why you'd need to know what it's like to live in a hotel Surely you know
1: well yeah i guess so i think it's more just this this is this feels particularly don't get me wrong it's it's perfectly pleasant and the the chap at the desk when we checked in was was very nice but this has a bit of a a, i'm just looking around now and it's 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 really quite like archaic in its design it kind of feels like this was a hotel that was built for built for now but designed like 20 years ago if that makes sense it's yeah it's kind it's kind of boring but you know it's past midnight so really I've got a bed to sleep in so I don't really care
0: that's very very true there's not there's not much to describe in here so uh, I think we probably better focus upon action from the Belgian Grand Prix now Scott Sebastian Vettel won from Lewis Hamilton Max Verstappen in third place do you agree with Hamilton's assertion that Ferrari was just faster given the way the race panned out?
1: Yeah, I think we saw um, Lewis's uh, wet weather brilliance really running out, didn't we? In terms of countering Ferrari's fundamental advantage over Mercedes, basically, uh, Lewis was on pole. He did a, a phenomenal job in, in qualifying; he's just untouchable in those conditions. And but come the race, they were they were just outgunned by Ferrari. Um, you, you saw when uh, on on the opening lap when Lewis led into Eau Rouge and they'd barely exited Radion before Vettel was pulling alongside and, and, and easing easing ahead and that's not not really a, a move you see that early, is it, unless you unless you're properly tucked up exiting La Source. And Vettel wasn't really so he, he, he came in hard and vet and then it was exactly the same same thing after that the the restart after the after the safety car, Vettel just had more drive, more oomph off the corners and he was clear of uh, of Lewis, uh, Lewis couldn't get in the toe and attack him at the restart, just purely because of the extra grunt of the Ferrari, and that, and it wasn't just pure power in those situations because the Ferrari seemed kinder on its tyres. It just seemed faster overall, and it was just it just seemed the better package for every single thing that the race threw at them, which admittedly wasn't much because it was
0: a little bit of a dull one. Yeah, well, everyone was kind of in their right place. With the exception of a couple of cars, uh, sort of making their way through. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the rain on on Saturday clearly gave Lewis Hamilton a window of uh, of opportunity. Uh, he did do better in qualifying. Obviously, Ferrari it was a little bit messy with everybody coming in at the end of the the kind of first lap in Q3 when the the rain came and Bottas had that big moment out of the final bit of Blanchimont and fortunately managed to uh, avoid uh, getting too close to a wall. Then we had all the sort of chaos in the Ferrari pits, and obviously Vettel talks about the fact that he didn't have battery for his uh, for his final flying lap. Yeah, you're not convinced by that, are you? Well, I, I don't. I, I do think that they were. I don't think they were at optimal levels because obviously it's a bit difficult when you're sort of rolling around doing a few laps on inters. Ideally, you'd, you'd have a full, a maximum allowance worth for the start of the lap. But but if you look at the lap, Vettel and Hamilton absolutely identical times in the first sector, which is the run all the way up to the end of the Camel Strait and Lecombe. Hamilton had a bit of an advantage in the middle sector, which is pretty much in line with what he had all, all weekend. The Mercedes was a bit quicker than the Ferrari in the, in the middle sector and then Hamilton gained again a little bit more in the final sector, but most of that was under braking for, uh, for the final chicane. There was a bit of a mistake in Poo on as well. So, I mean, I don't think it was an optimal qualifying session in terms of the way Ferrari managed it but I think in those conditions, when you look at the size of the gaps, etc, I think Vettel—it's not like Vettel did the perfect lap and it was let down by the uh, by the power level he had.
1: No, absolutely not. And and Vettel did do well on 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 Sunday in in the race, but I just kind of feel at the moment that the momentum has shifted towards Ferrari. It shifted towards Ferrari a while ago in terms of pure pace, but obviously Lewis and Mercedes struck back with those that unlikely win in Germany um, when when the rain fell and caught Vettel out, and then made the most of the rain in Hungary to get pole. Pull there and then dominate the dry race and here Lewis again taking charge of mixed conditions just doing an absolutely exemplary job and just absolutely nailing it he's superb in those in those conditions and well,
0: well this is the thing it's easy to it's not a question of saying Vettel's rubbish in the wet because he isn't no it's just but Hamilton's it's brilliant Hamilton's extraordinarily good yeah exactly um and, and yeah okay so
1: in in the race today uh Vettel jumped Hamilton he mugged him at the start and then he did enough to keep him behind at the restart and, and he was untouchable thereafter but what what I would say is that that Given Ferrari looks slightly stronger than Mercedes all weekend, apart from in that final bit of qualifying in the damp, is that Lewis has probably done himself a massive favour by just by by putting in the odd virtuoso performance like that. He won't always necessarily win. He won't always necessarily beat Vettel. What it will do is put himself in a position to absolutely maximise damage limitation because he could so easily have misjudged that call, started where Raikkonen did, and then it would have been Lewis that was being caught up in the aftermath of that enormous first, first corner clash because Raikkonen was minding his own business coming through... Le Source, having started, I think, on the third row. Yep, yeah, he, um, was,
0: uh, he was six behind Grosjean,
1: and he was he was an innocent victim clipped by Daniel Ricciardo and given a puncture because Ricciardo was sent wide because he was cl- he was uh, caught at the rear by a flying Fernando
0: Alonso. Yeah, I mean, it's all about making sure you're out of harm's way in that. In that situation, the best way to do it is be by being at the front. And actually, what we see, you know, the standards of drivers in Formula One is, is tremendously good. But these World Championship caliber drivers, they just have a habit of always being being there. It's, it's the old thing about the cream rises. Yes, the Ferrari and the Mercedes are the quickest two cars, but you know, you know the simple fact was that by them doing what they did in qualifying, that they, they were up up the front. And it's, I think, I think the really interesting thing uh, in that race was that there's a lot of talk about. The, the engine advantage that the Ferrari's got, and certainly people saying, you know, more power in certain places. And Toto Wolf was pretty emphatic about the fact, yeah, we can see on the GPS where they've got advantage you know, particularly strong with the kick off the chicane off the Rouge. And um you know that that just that that's everything you need really in terms of being able to pull a passing maneuver. And even even though at the, the safety car restart Hamilton did make that slight mistake locking up into the chicane he wasn't convinced that even with an absolutely perfect restart, because Vettel didn't didn't actually do a great restart, and Hamilton was quite close to. Him, he wasn't even convinced he would have been able to, to to draft past him.
1: Well, if you look at it this way, Vettel said that even though he he didn't get the initial restart right, Vettel says he nailed the chicane and he nailed La Source, and you shouldn't. And I well, This is my opinion anyway. If you're in the lead of the race at uh, the restart, you shouldn't be exiting La Source knowing you're safe for the end of the Kemmel Strait into Lacombe. But that's what Vettel said. He said, I came out of La Source because I'd nailed the previous two corners. They're very strong there. He had he was told by Ferrari he had about nine tenths of a second on Lewis and he was like, actually, I think I've got this. Yeah, Unless there's like a headwind or something bizarre happens through Eau Rouge, but Vettel knew he was he was pretty
0: much safe. Yeah, he had, uh, he had six tenths even by the start finish line. Yeah. Uh, exactly. And it, and even though there was a headwind on the, on the Kennel straight, um, in the early parts of the, parts of the race, it, it wasn't, uh, he wasn't kind of in harm's way. It would have been interesting if Hamilton had been, had been absolutely perfect. That little lockup would have cost him a little bit. I think it had been closer otherwise because Vettel said he had a little bit of wheel spin when he went. He sort of, he, uh, he gunned it kind of out, out of the first bit of blanchiment. Uh, but Hamilton was all over that. And Vettel himself admitted, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't a great restart, but he said, I didn't really want to, lift and go again because it's a bit high speed and not entirely fair he said yeah and then we
1: would have got back into baku 2017 wouldn't we with sort of accelerating and going and then title roll for sitting each other that could have been quite fun um with, with the ferrari mercedes situation at the moment the thing that i find interesting is that it's all well and good lewis having these moments where he steals a win or he steals second and and i think it is vital to his championship challenge that he continues to do that even on the days where he can't win where he just is absolutely at his best to pick up what's a, what's available is there's too many races left and hamilton's lead is is too small 17 points now i think he he can't just follow vettel but my fear now from a if you're looking at it from a mercedes hamilton perspective is that momentum is clearly with ferrari and vettel it does look like they have actually got the better package and the better engine we go to monza next week and ferrari have not had a better chance to win the home race in this engine era than they do this year then they go to singapore which okay red bull are going to be a factor but you would expect ferrari to be more competitive than mercedes there so there's a very good chance that these sort of first three races after the summer break vettel is actually going to turn the tables on lewis and, and get ahead and if that happens I'm not 100% convinced that the Hamilton-Mercedes partnership is enough to then turn the tables again and and, and get back in front because I I do think Vettel and Ferrari have a performance advantage and unless we see Mercedes sacrifice a race between now and the end of the season to push everything to the wall back at Bricksworth and bring in a spec 4 engine, then I just don't see where they're going to get that. It's either that or they have to introduce some super-duper mega car upgrade and I think they've got something in the works for for Monza, but obviously Monza's a special case. So really, don't see how much. How I mean, I mean, you've got more experience with this than I, I do. Re- realistically speaking, in this eight race stretch that we've got now, how much more can be done to try and turn the tables again on Ferrari from a Mercedes' perspective?
0: Well, that they can they can do things. I mean, one of the things if they can get on top of the uh, of the problems they've had with tires, they were struggling with rear blistering. Again, in terms of the temperature management, even though they had these new wheel rims that were designed partly to to aid cooling, and they they were allowing them to keep the the carcass temperature, which is kind of the the inner part of the tire, uh, they were able to to keep that a little bit cooler apparently. But that that doesn't seem to have uh, have solved that problem. So, I mean, a Ferrari. I think at Spa, Spa was a particularly seemed to be a particularly strong track for them, and all through the race at the key moments there was just performance in hand for Ferrari, you know, you look at the comparative inlaps, uh Vettel's in inlap was 0.560 faster than than Hamilton's and then after the pit stop when Hamilton was sort of his closest, he couldn't he couldn't get any closer, he did a few quick laps and then the pace dropped off and Vettel's didn't drop off anywhere near as much. So it, the thing is it doesn't take a it doesn't take a huge amount. If you can get the car working, so you're not making compromises to try and deal with the way the deal with the way the tires are working, etc., that can help. But the simple fact is, if you've got a car that's got more pace, then you can take control of things and you can just deploy that pace when you really need it. Whereas the others are just playing catch up as Mercedes are doing. So it's going to be very, very difficult for them. Ultimately, when it comes to the engine side of things, you know, you can't rustle up a, a V6 engine upgrade. Sort of in, in five minutes. So either they've got something that they're going to do, or they, or they, or they haven't. You can't sort of force the issue. Ha- Hamilton made that reference to uh, Ferrari having some tricks after the race, which obviously various people interpreted as suggesting. Uh, hinting at illegality, sort of backtrack from that. And, and, uh, Toto Wolf was very clear saying, yeah, we need to, we need to improve our performance. It's all about us doing that. He was very, very careful not to get drawn to that. You know, we do know Mercedes has suspicions about what Ferrari's doing, but simple fact is Ferrari's been looked at and there's, there's, there's no, uh, there's no evidence of, of illegality there. So we just have to say at the moment, they're doing a very good job with it. But yeah, they, they've got the pace. They've got the control. The one thing they don't currently have is the, is that advantage at the front, you know, if that was this was all happens again at Monza, which it may do, Hamilton will still lead the championship, and then it may—you never know. In Singapore, it might rain, and then things could change. So, you know, they what Ferrari needs to make sure they do is nail those those wins, which they didn't do at Hockenheim and, and Hungara, because it'd be a very different picture if if they'd won those two as well.
1: Well, but that's what is going to be so encouraging for them about this weekend is they they it looked like a weekend where they should be in control was going away from them again because of Hamilton's performance in qualifying. Relative to Vettel, especially, and uh, and they actually they they did everything they could do on on Sunday, and they came away with the win, and 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 that is crucial off the back of the last two and a half weekends when it 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 was the opposite. It was races they should be winning, and they weren't winning. And they, and, so, and we
0: should say Vettel drove very very well. In the yeah, race. It was, it was, can't criticise yeah, his race exactly. at all.
1: There was there was there were there were no mistakes. Even if Vettel's was harsh on himself for the for the restart, he he actually nailed the critical phase of it, which was the drive off of. The chicane because you can't really overtake before that safety car line anyway. So Vettel knew he sort of had that as a get out of jail free card, and yeah, he was he was brilliant. The the Ferrari looks looks really good. Kimi was super fast again through practice and the first parts of qualifying, and then his his weekend got away from him. But they look a real factor uh, in 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 a lot of different ways, And, and and that will scare Mercedes and it will be of a concern to Hamilton because he has that points lead you're right it, that is in his favor but as i pointed out eight races to go and plenty of tracks where there's where lewis and mercedes know that ferrari should be the stronger package so that points lead will turn into a points deficit very quickly unless mercedes does something or or hamilton continues to pull out some heroics or Vettel and ferrari slip up
0: yeah no, I'd, I'd agree with that assertion and as we saw both the Ferrari works team and the and Mercedes and its customers had had the the upgraded V6 and uh, introduced for here. So this should be, you know, this, it's the third phase of the engines. So uh, you know, if they had something in the locker, it it would be it would be on the car. So yeah, I mean, you would say at the moment probably Ferrari and Vettel are favourites. But it's the great thing is that we've got we've got two teams. They are close enough for there to be swings in terms of track characteristics and. And uh, car upgrades and that kind of thing that can that can turn the tables and and you know that that that's the the positive thing. I think this one, d- despite the fact that maybe Ferrari has an edge, it, it's still a championship that's maybe heading down to to the wire in Abu Dhabi, which I think whatever well, everybody wants to see. Now we should talk about the first corner accident. That was obviously a a, a big deal. Nico Hulkenberg, who started 18th after engine change penalties, he had a lock-up launched himself into the back of Fernando Alonso which hurled Alonso's McLaren over the top of Leclerc very precisely uh ripping off the uh, the rear wing of uh of Ricardo's Red Bull as well in that uh in that incident but the big question is we everybody saw after the race the uh the images of the halo that clearly had uh that's, well, not damage to it, but you could see the. Pattern. It was
1: damaged. It was cracked, wasn't it, at the top? So okay, it was. Well, it was actually damaged. Well, there we
0: go. That's why. That's why I'm asking you about this. So, I mean, the question people are asking is, did the Halo save Charles Leclerc That's the. That's the uh, excitable headline.
1: the The most interesting, but also reserved way I can answer that is, I'm glad we don't have to find out. I'm glad we don't have to question. We don't have to know if it did. Do you see what I mean? It, it was there. It's clearly been hit. And it doesn't to me it doesn't really matter what part of the car it was, because we were debating earlier, weren't we, on our drive to this luxurious motel abode, that whether it's the tyre or the underside of the McLaren that's hit the Saubers halo, that the car's big and it has other bits sticking out in different places. So the fact that the halo is the halo is clearly deflected a really heavy, massive, fast moving object away from the driver's head and that's what it was designed for this is the first incident we've had in f1 where i think where the the halo has had a there's been an accident that the halo was specifically designed to try and protect the driver from those sort of incidents mm. we've had one in f2 with was it tadasuke makino it was yeah in in barcelona so i think this was a the sort of thing that well leclerc himself said that he felt lucky once he looked at the the damage to the halo um and he he was happy to have to have the halo there, there will be a lot of people who just say oh well um the the angle that the car was coming in that it didn't make a difference and and all of this but blimey how how close do we have to be how much of a risk do these people need how how what, what I, I don't get it i don't think there's an argument to be made looking at that leclerc incident to say oh still i don't think we need the halo
0: Yeah, I think uh, you'd be definitely happier to have it. And it was clearly involved in the, in the accident. Of course, as part of that, Nico Hulkenberg's got a 10 place grid penalty for the, the next race. And looking at the stewards reports and what what we saw, uh, what happened at the start, Hulkenberg basically said it was his error, you know, slightly cold brakes. I mean, it's, he was a long way back and it it looks, and it it was a stupid error for a driver of that quality and experience, but it it does happen when the brakes are that cold, you can grab them. And then once you've got them, you know, you're you're a complete passenger. It wasn't like it was a, a reckless move or anything, but I think 10 places is probably fair, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Um, Leclerc was asked if he thinks drivers should be banned for causing accidents like that, which is obviously a clear reference to the accident we saw back in 2012 that Roman Grosjean triggered that led to Grosjean being banned for Monza. And look to his credit, just said uh, if someone is deli- you know deliberately aggressive or dangerous, then yeah, they should be banned. But not in a situation like this.
0: Well, at the stewards' report, and the stewards included Mika Salo, the the former Ferrari F one driver. They mentioned that because they knew the comparisons to the twenty twelve shunt when Roman Grosjean came together with Lewis Hamilton, and ended up with uh, with uh, Grosjean going over the top of Fer- uh, Alonso's Ferrari uh, at the source. So the outcome of that was sort of similar, but. The steward's decision referred to the fact that, well, although this was similar, since then we introduced this point system for serial offenders because Grosjean was having a, a tricky spell there. So he'd had multiple incidents and that played a part in him getting the, the one race ban. And so naturally people sort of say, Oh, well, Halcombe, it's the same incident. He should, he should get banned, but. One, Hulkenberg's got a good clean record. I think he got three license points for this. He, he had one before. I can't remember for what exactly one infringement, but uh, it wouldn't have been for anything uh, anything massive. And it was kind of an honest mistake rather than stupid driving or moving across on someone. And if he'd done, you know, if you had four incidents in the last seven races, you might say it's it's different.
1: Well, that's exactly what Leclerc said. He said he knows Hulkenberg's not, not that sort of driver. It's clearly an honest mistake. Um, and and that, and that should be the end of it. I don't. I don't really think anyone should. Anyone reasonable would be sort of lobbying for for Holkenberg to have had a, a, a stricter penalty. You well, it's an easy thing to shout about, isn't it? Well, exactly, and, and that just seems silly. The bit that I just didn't get in that in that crash until I saw maybe the tenth different replay, and you alluded to it at the beginning when we started talking about this crash is the elimination of Daniel Ricciardo's rear wing in that accident is beautifully timed. Surgical. It's unreal. Like, you don't see it happening. You think that that is an accident that is only incorporating three cars, but it actually ruins the race of two others because Alonso, while he's pirouetting, flying through the air and going over Leclerc's head, wipes out the rear wing of Ricardos Red Bull and that nudges Ricardo forward just as Raikkonen, who's gone deep into the source, comes back across Causes him to rear end the Ferrari, go out the back of him, damage, and, and it's just.
0: I, wow. Well, Ricardo, of course, because he will have got on the power out of the source, but with no rear wing, so that would have made the rear end a little bit more. So he'll have had less kind of control and precision. It's just one of those things. It was a, it was kind of a knock-on effect of of, of what happened. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it affected a lot of a lot of drivers' race. And of course, we also had Bottas. You've got a five-second penalty added post-race, which didn't affect his his position. He was still uh, he was still classified uh, fourth, which he climbed up to from I think it was seventeenth on the on the grid because he had a new a new power unit. He uh, went into the back of Rotkins Williams on the approach to to the source, which is unrelated to to that one. I think that's five-second penalty is probably fair enough for. His error. He was fortunate. There was a safety car, though, to allow him to come back to the pits, change the front wing, and then uh, restart his uh, his uh, charge from the back.
1: I know that incidents ended up being a lot less sort of significant than everything else we saw, but that combined with the really dramatic crash we saw, and it's the second time in seven years there's been a massive La Source incident that's involved a car going airborne. To me, just to go back to the Halo topic, that just shows to me the need for it because two times in seven grand prix is a really is a pretty imposing strike rate and the whole point of improved safety when you get into the era we're in now where safety is at an all-time high and you're starting to guard against the real anomalies uh that that's the whole point of it isn't it it's just the way it doesn't matter that this doesn't happen all the time it could happen but at spa two times in seven races we've had this that's that is a as i say a formidable strike rate in terms of dangerous airborne accidents so i really don't see how anyone can continue to argue against things like the halo on the grounds of that we don't need it for safety reasons i get why you might argue against it if you don't think it's a if it if you don't think it's the best safety solution because you think it's a halfway house or something like that but it's better than nothing and i just think it's proven its validity it, if it ever needed to be proven it was this weekend isn't it
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I think in the case of Spa, you mentioned this the second time this happened. I think Spa is an unusual one because it's a very short run to the first corner. It's a very sharp, tight first corner, so cars are slowing down to a to a lower speed, and then they're in it for longer. So it it does lend itself to these sorts of uh, sorts of incidents, uh, should we say? that's why that kind of kind of thing happens. But but everybody, uh, everybody got out of it. It was the end of the race for Leclerc, for uh, for Alonso, and for and for Hulkenberg. And yeah, to his credit, Hulkenberg, I think he. There was initially a suggestion of was there any braking problems, but no, I think he, according to Stewart, he just said, nope, that was, that was me. So the other big story we had was, uh, Racing Point Force India, as we must now, uh, call it. Now, Sergio Perez and Esteban Ocon finished fifth and sixth. Um, they ran third and fourth early on, and in fact, there was that brilliant moment on the first lap. Oh my God, how cool was that? Where you had Perez on the outside of uh, of Hamilton, Vettel, and Ocon on the inside having a look, so he basically at the top floor all all abreast. But before we talk about the performance, can you just briefly, or as succinctly as it's possible to do, because it's not simple, explain how this team, with the same car, same, same drivers, same sponsors, same livery, same personnel, same engine, is considered to be a new team? Because... This start. This team started on no points. This was this was officially its first race.
1: Yeah, you're right. It's not simple. It's impossible to do it succinctly because the situation's still not resolved. Because there's a bunch of brilliant political uh, moanings and mumblings going on in the background. But basically, it's because um, you're right, Ed. Everything in that team is the same, but the entry isn't because all of the stuff that surrounded Force India when it went into administration. We know that Lawrence Stroll led a consortium. Of investors to to take over the team and and that happened or that was the deal was agreed with the administrators but basically the sale wasn't agreed because of a bunch of complexities behind the scenes regarding to regarding the the the, the debt and the previous ownership so um, the Stroll and his and his company basically bought the assets to the team but they didn't have the entry because the entry lies with the previous one so they basically had to go through a bunch of not loopholes but basically not often needed FIA regulations and whatnot and and, and lodge a a mid-season entry so the 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 arrangement that was struck was that they could take over Force India's Constructors Championship prize money which took a fair bit of convincing the other the rival teams to do because obviously it's quite a lot of money. And, And the
0: money of course the money is a pot that's shared between the teams so it's always tempting if you can take one of those teams out. Well, Everybody has exactly. a pitch, so there's an incentive to th- do it.
1: It's two things. One, it's this team gets a massive amount of money. So so you're giving your you're letting your rival have a massive amount of money and you lose about three million dollars because the, you you split that equally between the other nine teams and that's what it works out as. So so there's that. Um, so they had to they agreed that but then part of it was exclusion from the championship from Force India so Force India started from a fresh Racing Point Force India which everybody mocks as a terrible name because it is a terrible name but it's only called that because they wanted they needed to keep Force India because they needed the chassis name and the team name it's Force India to the fans everybody's known it as Force India all year and Racing Point is just the name of the holding company in the UK that, that, own, that owns all the assets so it's it's simple, but it's not simple. My favourite thing that I've been saying over the weekend is obviously this was a debut for the team. Obviously it wasn't, but it was as well. It was a new team in debut. This team qualified third and fourth on its debut, so how about that for, for your first race as a team? And then it, it also matched the most successful points haul from for a new team on its debut. 18 points for, for fifth and sixth, which is the same as Mercedes got in 2010, and Braun got in 2009, and as someone pointed out to me, out to me on Twitter when I said, mentioned this earlier on Sunday evening, Braun finished first and second, but this was obviously before the point system changed, But so if you're going purely on points alone, it is the equal most successful debut for a team in everyone's history.
0: And of course, this is the fifth debut that team has had, because it's previously existed as Jordan, as Midland, as Spiker, as Force India, and now Racing Point Force India. What is it about this team, this entity, and Spa it's it's amazing, isn't it? The first win here is Jordan in 98, 91. Michael Schumacher made his debut here for the team. And in fact, that race, Andrea de Cesaris, might well have won because he was running second and closing on Ayrton Senna, who had some gearbox problems uh, and might well have passed him. But for the fact his engine failed, because I believe uh, Gary Anderson, our technical correspondent told me that Cosworth had, had made a, a change in the engine that increased the oil consumption. Um, and that led to the led to the failure. So Chazestres could have won it. And Rubens Barrichello's pole in '94, of course.
1: Oh, don't forget the um, the original incarnation of Force India, starring at Spa, young Carlos Fisichella almost won. Yes,
0: yeah, so had pole position and. Uh yeah, finished second. in, in He only 2009. lost because
1: the Ferrari had curves, didn't
0: he? Yeah, well, I th- uh, there was a safety car restart, wasn't there? That allowed Reichen to get close, and then he managed to make the the overtaking move. But Fizzy stuck with him. That was a yeah, sensational, a uh, sensational move. Yeah, it's just it's just a very storied uh, at Spa. It's just one of those uh, one of those tracks, I guess.
1: Yeah, I guess, and and this whole the whole racing point in Force India thing was just one of many brilliant rumbling ongoing changing constantly storylines over the belgian grand prix we had this amazing summer break that wasn't really a break for for the people that had to deal with the fallout of all of the breaking news but that that was that was awesome which gave us a load of talking points when we actually got to the track and then once we got to the track those talking points didn't stop they actually multiplied and had lots of little talking points babies and and then they grew up very quickly over the weekend and it was just it was just awesome my favorite i don't know about you my favorite was the whole fernando alonso red bull offer because that that's just like Alonso claiming that he had a an offer from Red Bull. Red Bull denying it. More information coming from Alonso. Red Bull
0: denying it again. And, and every time it comes around, there were more offers. Yeah, it's it's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's, it's good. It's good fun. I think there's a bit of uh, there's a bit of tit for tat going on in that. All, I think it all goes back to Christian Horner made a comment about Alonso being potentially disruptive within the team, which is, caused and, a bit of chaos. Uh, and that's consistent said. with everything I've heard from inside red bull both publicly and privately over a very long period of time they've been pretty consistent about that so, but, but, but we,
1: as i but I, as i, I was uh, discussing with a couple of people in the paddock at the weekend the counter argument to that is alonso's remembering and citing so much in so much detail that there's obviously an element of truth to what he's saying as well so much as like anything in f1 the truth is somewhere th- there's in there's always middle. talks
0: and horner alluded to the fact that that liberty had been sort of pushing to say, well, could something be done here? Because obviously they wanted the big star to be in that. Uh, obviously, as a result of all this, this stuff looking outside of Alonso, because Lawrence Stroll is uh, the sort of the front man of the consortium. Well, he's not the front man. He's, he's leading the consortium uh, for Racing Point Force India. Everybody's saying, right, well, when is Lance Stroll going to be in that car? It's inevitable he will be in a Racing Point Force India before too long. Uh, I suspect Monza might be too early, although I'm not ruling it out. There's, there's some complexities to, to be dealt with, but. It would probably surprise me if he's not in by Singapore, certainly, at least. Uh, but but that's that creates all sorts of interesting moves in the driver market, because then what happens with Esteban Ocon?
1: Well, Ocon is the big sticking point, isn't he? Everyone keeps that saying, oh, well, he's just going to go to McLaren because he's in contention there for, for, for next season. But first of all, um, Stoffel van Dorn, Gilles de Ferrand, the sporting director of McLaren, said at the weekend that, current, that at present there are no plans to do that. And the key caveat there was that at present there are no plans to do this. So Right now, no, they're not, but obviously that might change in the coming days. But we've seen that Van Dorn, is, is over, over the Spa weekend in particular, was more outspoken than I've ever seen him or heard him, rather, in, in a grocery Basically, give classes. me a car that works before yeah.
0: talking about replacing me. And then, claiming, and then
1: claiming that they've made no progress over the course of this year as well. So he, he was very, very unhappy. Well, not not an unreasonable summary. Absolutely not. Um, so there you've got Van Dorn's situation. So if Van Dorn doesn't vacate that, that seat, how does Ocon get into McLaren? Mercedes isn't going to let its protégé just end up on the sidelines for the rest of the season, but at the same time, McLaren doesn't want to take on a Mercedes protégé that it might not be able to have long-term. So naturally
0: you say, well, Ocon could go to Williams, but of course they've got a reserve driver who's got a deal, and there's a little bit of money attached to that. So Kubica, if a Williams driver becomes available, basically needs to be in it.
1: Yeah, our understanding is that if they're for whatever reason, if that race driver becomes available, Kubica must... Uh, must take the seat and if obviously contracts are made to be broken uh so if someone so pays I only, him, yeah any question how much it costs yeah exactly so if someone pays cubits are enough money to forsake the dream that he's been working ridiculously hard for for the last 15 months or so if not a lot longer because obviously all of the background stuff is this is a enormous journey that cubits has been on i would actually be really really surprised if he's able to be bought out just purely because of the amount of emotion, the the emotional turmoil he's gone through in the years that he's put in to yeah, get back he's, to this he's point, got,
0: he's got to do this.
1: But it's really difficult to know. It's 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 changing so quickly that it really wouldn't like. It's it's a good thing that we're we're doing this podcast now and it's going to be out asap because the situation could change in twenty four hours and be very different. It's like in the in the summer when we were trying to second guess what the next driving market move would be. But you've got to, it's, it's, it's really really volatile. So. We don't know whether Stroll's going to vacate his Williams. We don't know if Cubis is going to get his debut. We don't know if Van Dorn's going to get kicked out of Ma- McLaren. We don't know if Van Dorn's going to wash up at Sauber because obviously there's, he's got a few, hit not him personally, but people around him that have backed him in the past and presently have got fingers in in, in the Sauber pie. So,
0: And of course, complicating McLaren. We've got Lando Norris who made his Grand Prix weekend debut.
1: It, it, in that's under evaluation for a racing next year and he's going to be yeah. in Van Dorn's car at FP1 in, in Monza. So It's just it's it's brilliant. It's exhausting. It's difficult to call. It's gonna be super interesting to see if actually everyone is where they're supposed to be come Thursday in in Monza. But as you say, just because they're there in Monza doesn't mean they're going to be there at Singapore because there's a bit more time between Monza and Singapore. And logistically, getting all this stuff done is really tricky because drivers are the drivers are very different. Ocon, for example. I mean, you let's just take it. If Ocon is really going to go to McLaren. Is going to switch and drive a McLaren this season. He's a tall guy, and yeah, you can do seat fits, and you can do stuff. But like, when like in that situation, would you want to come off the back of Spa? Where you're, where you are super comfortable and in the team that you know you, that you've known for Gokons and have been known to Force India for two years now, raced for them for a year and a half, qualified third, finished in the top six, banked another load of points for them, and then get shuffled out into a team that may or may not want you in an uncomfortable car in. It's and just a not very quick car and a not very quick car. The, the McLaren was terrible at Spa, so. I there's going to be, I, I I still feel like Ocon is going to be the massive loser from this situation. However it settles down, whether he's in that car for the Force India for the rest of the season, I, I just can't see how he comes out of this as a winner. He's going to be really lucky if he even maintains the position he's in at the moment. Well, I
0: think the positive thing is that I think Mercedes are very sincere in their desire to see him on the grid. And I think that is important to them. They do see him as the next Mercedes Workstein team driver in a way they, they didn't quite see someone like Pascal Verlin as. So there is motivation there. But at the same time, you know, the, the motivation or that, that will boost Ocon's chances. But the complexity of this, this vast jigsaw puzzle with all these sort of, it's like a sliding puzzle, isn't it? As I said before, with all these sort of moving, moving pieces. So it's, it's a complicated, uh, complicated old situation. It all has knock on effects for last year. It'll be fun to see, uh, see Ocon if he ends up in a McLaren, then he can, uh, he can talk up just as Carlos Sainz was doing and it Sort of suggestion. Well, you kind of went into this year thinking next year you'd either be in a Red Bull or a Rising Works Renault team, and you're in a McLaren, so you did that. Oh, well, it's been my dream to be in McLaren for a long time, and, and you sort of thought, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, obviously, he's, he's grateful for the opportunity, and McLaren does have. Tremendous potential, and we assume they will recover in the long term. And he's
1: replacing Alonso as well, which obviously has quite a bit of emotional yeah, yeah, value. But, but if, even so, if it's not Red Bull. If you're a race and it's yeah, not Renault, it's, it's you, not even Renault. You want the most competitive Well, car. this is the thing that I really enjoyed because his actual answer was just: it's impossible to be disappointed at, to be at McLaren. Uh, I'm not sure because if that was the case, then Fernando Alonso wouldn't be leaving F1 at the end of this year.
0: Yeah, very, uh, very probably not. It's a, it's a situation, but it, it, it was great that moment going back to the the on track thing, coming all the way back to the Racing Point Force Indias where we we started this with uh, with Ocon. He had, he said he I think if he had a meter more, he could have taken the lead because he was a reasonable. Oh, way he was of the so inside. close to doing it, I wasn't mean, he? He might have been able to stick those in, but if it had gone wrong, he'd have taken out himself and his teammate potentially, and the two world championship contenders. And one of those world championship contenders is is the is the lead driver for his overall employer in in Mercedes. So that I imagine if you're going down there, you're thinking, I don't want to do a sensational pass for the lead and maybe risk. Just uh, wiping everyone. Well, the
1: <laughs> other factor there is, was, was we were discussing earlier, is obviously racing point force India because they've lost all of their championship points. They're in a position now where they've got to try and make up as much ground as possible to get prize money. And past Williams already, they've got they've got past Williams already. But imagine if Ocon had wiped himself and Perez out by just doing it, throwing a hail mary into LeCombe. It, it the would first make it very lap. very easy to replace him. It would make it very easy to replace him. But also, you say it would have wiped out four cars. Gasly would have finished. Uh, Gasly would have finished fifth Eriksen would have finished sixth So Rosso and Sauber would have been handed a boat boatload of points and we just made their task even harder so much as I sat there when it happened live, and when it happened on the replay, and I'm going, I can't believe you've not gone for this, oh, just stick it up the inside, come on, just do it, and then you just sort of, like, reason kind of sets in, you go, there's no real justification is there for him to
0: chuck it up the inside at that point. The the only thing that was a real shame for him is that he ended up having to back out so much and just feed into fourth place in the queue, so so that dropped him behind uh, behind Perez, which was a bit of a shame for him, but overall from from the team's perspective they had the two cars in the best possible per position that they, they could have been finishing uh finishing fifth and sixth which well, is uh, a great start
1: the them. the other negative point of it was obviously by not taking the lead it ruined his uh ruined his prospects of finishing first or second which um anyone who 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 popped a a cheeky 10 pound each way bet on him at 300 to 1 to win the race would have uh, would have come off uh, come off worse and I don't know if there's anyone on this particular podcast speaking at the moment who may or may not have done that but they're probably not feeling too proud of themselves at the moment well it wasn't me it may have been me
0: yeah I do I do very uh, I do very conservative such uh, such bets I'm, I'm very dull when it comes to that uh, it's always the, the most sensible way to do things make headlines in F1 2018 the official video game of the 2018 FIA Formula 1 World Championship the most accurate and visually stunning F1 video game yet, featuring all official teams, drivers, and
1: circuits of the 2018 season. F1 2018, the official video game, available from August 24th for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC at shop2.net. Make headlines.
0: What else so we have? We have the two Hasses, seventh and eighth. Roman Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen, which is uh, quite effective. Exactly, and good for them to uh, to put together a double points finish that they've been working towards, and important championship-wise too.
1: Especially because Renault double failed to score. That's a very bad way of putting That's that. That's great phraseology, but yeah, yeah, Carlos Sainz was, only the, was 11th. Only the second time this season, I think, that Renault haven't scored at points, and it means that I think Haas have closed to just six points behind Renault in the fight for fourth, and he you think of... What Renault has and what Haas has, another good bit of phraseology. Um, I know that there's this whole background argument of the Ferrari Haas relationship, and I know there's this whole background situation with the Haas Ferrari relationship, and are oh, those, the listed, non listed parts going too far, and is it just a copy of the Ferrari, and all of this stuff that rumbled on at the start of the year, but Haas is doing a brilliant job absolutely brilliant and for them to be in contention for fourth in the championship and not now not just sort of fancifully actually properly in sight like one good one more good weekend away from taking fourth
0: how impressive is that well, well it's it's kind of gone in their favour as well because Renault have, have slipped a little bit because they, they've they kind of become marginal Q3 cars whereas they were pretty much nailed on Q3 cars before Force India has now disappeared as was so that it's, re- it's really come to them and that, that kind of pays them back for some of the misfortune they had uh, earlier in the season.
1: Yeah, definitely. The one thing I would say is that part of their turnaround in form over the weekend at Spa was taking off an upgrade that didn't work. So it remains to be seen whether or not that's a fundamental upgrade that's sort of something that was meant to boost the car over the rest of the season or it's just part of that sort of lower downforce pattern. They package. had the
0: new rear wing on Magnussen's car, didn't they? But not Grosjean's, I think.
1: And I don't think it worked. So... There's, there's clearly something there that didn't quite stack up. And part of the strength of Haas earlier this season was, I think, Canada when they introduced the upgrade there and it worked brilliantly. And they were really happy with that. And that's what pushed them onto the next level as well, just as maybe Renault started to taper off a little bit. Um, so they need to sort of... They, you know, Haas have got a few things in the works that they really want to push to the end of the season uh, in in that regard. But they're obviously... Focusing on the 2019 car now as well, but they've got a great chance here, and it would be a shame to see them miss out on that. But that's the only minor minor blip I think for for Haas at the moment. Otherwise, everything else looks really really strong for that team. Yeah,
0: exactly. And uh, final two point scores: Pierre Gasly ninth place. That's a that's a good uh, good finish. His fourth points finish of the season. Premier Marcus Eriksson, you know, his his form's picked up a little bit in recent races, picking up a point for tenth place. So that's uh, that's that's good for him and and for Sauber.
1: Yeah, well, Eriksson says that those sort of results are critical for him now. That's that's the word he uses critical because he knows he's in a bit of a dog fight to keep that seat for next next year he has back he has a backer within the team as part of the ownership structure structure but the team but Sauber Alfa Romeo back in Ferrari back in constantly it's just growing in in stature and resource all the time it's clearly becoming a more competitive prospect so it's super appealing now to to drivers and it wasn't 12 months ago so ericsson's going to have to go some to to, to earn another contract regardless of his his backer being part of the ownership of the team um but results like that are going to go some to do that because if he keeps picking up points and, and and is is matching Leclerc as closely as he did this weekend he looks a lot happier through practice, he was a couple of attempts shy in qualifying but he had a bit of a problem I think he dropped a, I think the engine dropped a cylinder and Leclerc had a brake problem so it was a little bit weird for them but they both look quick, Ericsson if he can keep close to Leclerc he's, he's going to at least boost his, boost his chances, I don't think anyone even his backer is going to think that he's going to be a, an absolute megastar but he, he is a, he is a very competent Grand Prix driver. And if he, if he does the business over the second half of the year, he's just going to strengthen his claim.
0: Yeah. It's only, um, I think, uh, a couple of tenths probably slower than, than Leclerc on, on pace. It's hard to get a really precise reading, but that was much, much stronger than it, uh, than it was, uh, certainly a few, a few races ago. Well, of course, we're all going to do it again this coming weekend. It's handling Grand Prix at Monza. Lewis Hamilton said after the race, it's going to be very tough. With the the form and the and the performance that that Ferrari's showing, so uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how that how that works out. Although it's also a power circuit, it's a very different circuit to uh, to Spa. So uh, so let's see how the uh, the Ferrari and the Mercedes compare there. And of course, you'll be able to follow all of the latest news and the session updates and the controversies from the, the Italian Grand Prix weekend on Autosport.com, as well as all the news from the rest of the world of motorsport. Check out our plus subscriber area. Lots of in depth features. Our, our driver ratings will be there on on Monday morning from the Belgian Grand Prix. You can have look on there and do your own ratings to show how much you disagree with my evaluations autosport magazine out on thursday in-depth coverage of the belgian grand prix and please check out sister titles motorsport.com and f1 racing magazine out monthly thanks for joining us we'll be back soon with another autosport podcast Wendy's nose cold and soggy fries are the worst. So soggy. That's why we're serving up hot and crispy fries all day, every day. And all night until close. With natural cut potatoes, sea salted to perfection. Show me that potato skin. Wendy's hot and crispy aren't like other fries. We're your dream fry. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's hot and crispy fries. Guaranteed to be hot and crispy. If yours aren't, bring them back and we'll replace them.